Welcome to History 605, the South Dakota State Historical Society's podcast, where we talk to historians, curators, filmmakers, artists, and authors about how they interpret the past. I'm Dr. Ben Jones, South Dakota State Historian and Director of the State Historical Society. Join me and our guests as we think historical. So it is most appropriate and fitting that in our first year of our second century that this should also be a year of reconciliation between the Indian people and the non-Indian people alike. History 605 is sponsored by the Groover Family Trust and done in partnership with South Dakota Public Broadcasting. Welcome to the show. Welcome to History 605. Today on the show is uh, Mr. Bill Hoskins. Uh, Bill is the director of the Siouxland Heritage Museums. Bill, thanks for coming on uh, History 605 and telling us about what you got going on. My pleasure to be here. I wonder if you can start off with a general description of the three museums or locations you have and uh, what the story is that those locations tell visitors. The Siouxland Heritage Museums were formed in 1974 through a joint cooperative agreement between the city of Sioux Falls and Minnehaha County. We currently operate three sites. The Old Courthouse Museum, which is the old Minnehaha County Courthouse, and, and that building's owned by Minnehaha County. And then there's the Pettigrew Homan Museum, and um, it's an 1889 Queen Anne home, uh, belonged to Senator Richard Franklin Pettigrew, and um, it includes two historic museum additions, one added in 1923 by Senator Pettigrew, and one in 1933 by the city of Sioux Falls as a public works administration jobs program during the depression. Mm -hmm. Our third building is the newest building. Uh, that's the Irene Hall Museum Resource Center, which is really our collections management center. And it's also a place for researchers and the public to come to use the museum's collections. So the old courthouse museum is kind of the, I don't know if marquee is the is the proper word, but it's maybe the anchor uh, of your organization and so forth. I'm wondering, the building is quite striking in its location, downtown Sioux Falls and the clock tower, um, the quartzite structure and so forth. It just as a piece of architecture. It's quite impressive. I wonder if you can uh, share with us the trials and the tribulations of, of perhaps using something uh, that was designed to be a courthouse to use it instead as a as a museum. It's not necessarily something that is a clean transition, but just as the courthouse uh, and the architecture, I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about how the building was built and the architect. The old courthouse museum is a very interesting structure. It uh, was designed by an architect, local architect, uh, Wallace Dow. Construction began in 1889, uh, some of the quarrying happened on the site. The foundation rests on bedrock. Uh, 
of, of the community. Uh, it's an interesting building. It's all built of Sioux Quartzite, has a 165-foot clock tower uh, with a running E. Howard tower clock from 1892. The building served as the county courthouse from December of 1890 until December, December of 1962. And at, at that point, the county outgrew it. Real simply, uh, this building has uh, had two courtrooms originally. Uh, The current courthouse for Minnehaha County uh, or the second judicial district, I think, has 22 courtrooms. The community has grown a lot, and, and so the demands on the courthouse. The building sat empty for about 12 years Um, from 1962 to 1974. There was a caretaker who was in the building, but government wasn't really looking at preserving the structure. Particularly initially, they wanted to tear it down. Uh, One local lady, Hazel O'Connor, said she would lay down in front of the bulldozers uh, before she'd let it be torn down. And and its efforts like that and... uh, I, I think really what got the Siouxland Heritage Museum started was a local history class uh, taught by Gary Olson at Augustana College at that time. Um, his senior history students were given this task of uh, the city has the Pettigrew Homan Museum and the county has this old courthouse. Is there some way to create a, a system or a way to manage both? And they came up with a report that they presented to the first joint meeting of the uh, Minnehaha County Commission and Sioux Falls City Council, or at that time it was a commission. That report was the basis for cr- the joint cooperative agreement contract between the city and county that created the Siouxland Heritage Museums. And since that time, the interesting thing has been how to restore a now 135-year-old courthouse building and make it an effective museum. And it's a great architectural building. Uh, People come in the structure, the, the hallway, first floor hallway, uh, the ceiling's 17 feet high. There's murals that were painted by a Norwegian immigrant, Oli Running, uh, in 1916, 1917. And so it's really very striking as you come in into the building. And some of the office spaces on first floor were initially restored as exhibit galleries, but they're not particularly large. The biggest space is about a thousand square feet. For some, that presents a challenge in terms of some traveling exhibits from outside, uh, who dictate uh, they 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 have three thousand or they need ten thousand square feet for an exhibit mm-hmm. like Ramses or something. But <clears throat> the other require other constraint is the size of the doors and uh, the building is. Doesn't the building really doesn't allow for alteration because the interior walls are all masonry, mm-hmm. and they're they're solid, two feet thick, 
And so um, you're not going to move this wall to accommodate an exhibit, and you're not going to make the doorway any bigger to get a wagon inside the gallery. You have to figure out how to be creative. So um, the old courthouse museum, the first floor hallway, we actually have a car, the 1908 Faywick Flyer yeah. on display in the hallway. And uh, we have a buffalo and we have some other things. Um, but that was really the staff and uh, getting creative on how the front doors, the six street doors were rebuilt or uh, restored would be a word mm -hmm. so that the center post comes out and to get okay. the Faywick in, you have to take the doors off the hinges because you need yeah. exactly the space. So getting it in the door, we, we had about a quarter inch on each side of space, getting it through the doorways. So uh, yeah, there's been a lot of creative things that have happened. Second floor, we have the courtroom, beautiful space, uh, restored in 1987. That's really a multi-purpose space for the museums. We do a lot of programming. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, as we're talking, we have our, our summer concert series. Uh, it's raining a little bit here. And the concert that was outdoors moved in inside. So that's used for rentals. It's used for meetings, lecture series, uh, concerts. Uh, there have been dances, all kinds of different things. So yeah. it it really does serve a, a function, but it's uh, a little bit different. It was intended to be a structure before microphones. And so the acoustics are a little different. And it's interesting seeing people adapt and figure out how to use modern systems within that historic space. I've been to a, a couple of events in that courtroom. I think I was a judge at a National History Day contest in that courtroom and the vibrancy, energy, and noise from all those students in there talking about their displays and their projects and so forth was fun to deal with. And then uh, a couple of book talks and so forth have been in there. And I think one of the speakers did mention that it was an impressive room to give a talk in, but a challenging room to be heard in. <laughs> Uh, and in that case, I think that was uh, April White and her book talk about the Sioux Falls divorce colony. And so to be in the historic space where those divorces were granted and to do that book talk, she thought was uh, very compelling for her as an author and a researcher, too. So, yeah, the building has its own history. And then the Senator Pettigrew uh, Museum, uh, which was his home, it's um, uh, house museums have their charm and uniqueness and uh, who, well, first, who is Senator Pentagrew and uh, what can people learn about him by visiting that museum? Richard Franklin Pentagrew is one of the first permanent settlers in the, in what's now the city of Sioux Falls. Um, and, and he's very much uh, kind of one of those uh, great examples of people who came to Dakota early on. Born in Vermont, uh, in 1848, his uh, parents moved west in the early 1850s to southwest Wisconsin, and Pettigrew basically came to Dakota. He had a, a job for the summer as a chain man on a surveying party working in the Big Sioux River Valley up in what's now Moody County. 
And he spent uh, the summer on the surveying party. And in the fall, they came through what would be Sioux Falls. At the time, it was an army post called Fort Dakota uh, that stood on the side of the falls from 1865 to 69. And when Pettigrew got here, uh, the army had just abandoned Fort Dakota. And Pettigrew took the opportunity to claim a quarter section of land under the Preemption Act, which means he eventually would pay a buck and a quarter an acre. And um, the Pettigrew House happens to be in the midst of that, uh, that land claim. He decided okay. to make his life here when he's 21 years old. In the early years, worked as a surveyor, occasionally practiced law, sold real estate, and in 1873, got himself elected to the territorial legislature. Pettigrew, Pettigrew often thought or, or commented that um, he got elected because he worked as a surveyor and all the farmers knew who he was and they didn't know the other guy. Uh, <laughs> it didn't matter what his politics were, but that got him into the legislature. And he uh -huh. served a term is in the territorial legislature and then on the territorial council, two terms. In 1880, he's elected, well, fall of 79, he was elected as the territory's representative to Congress and served in 1880 through 1881 in that capacity. Returned, served in the territorial council again. And in 1889, when South Dakota became a state, Pettigrew and um, Gideon C. Moody were both elected as new senators from South Dakota. They drew straws to see who would get the six-year term and who would get the two-year term. Oh, wow. And Pettigrew drew the long straw. Okay. Got the six-year term. So he, he served two terms in the U.S. Senate. His Senate career is interesting and somewhat diverse, returns to Sioux Falls. I mean, he all through the time period, he's a businessman, very uh, active in boosting Sioux Falls and South Dakota. You know, probably he bought the house that uh, the Pettigrew house. The backstory on that is uh, it, he didn't build it, but he bought it in 1911, paid $12,000 purchased it from the estate of the original owners who bought the land the house sits on from Pettigrew in the first okay. place in 1888. And when, when Pettigrew and his wife bought the house, they did some redecorating. And so a lot of when the public comes today, they get to see, we, we talk a lot about the furnishings of that time period between 1911 and 1926 when the mm -hmm. Pettigrews lived there. I think we're blessed in many respects, if, if you look at a museum, because the public comes into Pettigrew's museum edition, not the historic house. And we have several different exhibition galleries available there and a, play, a place to do a uh, programming about Pettigrew, about the Victorian era that doesn't really impact the tour of the historic house. Okay. And it, um, we got, we got lucky, a lot luckier than a lot of historic houses 
that are fighting weather every time they open their front door to let the public in. We, we got blessed because we have this museum edition that Pettigrew added, and it's a way to create this place to greet the public as they come in. You're not fighting the humidity and the sunlight and things like that as much if you did not have the edition. Is that that's the implication of the of the addition you're talking about? You're not fighting the humidity as much, right? Not the and the building underwent a major. I mean, it's owned by the city of Sioux Falls. When Pettigrew died, he gave the home and museum to the city. Uh, there was an agreement that it would remain open to the public and free mm-hmm. um, in perpetuity. Well. We'll see how that goes. Uh, and, and so far it has. And the city is, has put money into it on a regular basis, I mean, to keep it up and maintain it. Uh, it's a great structure. If you look at it just architecturally, there, there's all kinds of Victorian wall coverings and the, the things you'd expect in, in a historic home of that time mm-hmm. period. But... It also has some really unique features that tie to the history. It is, it's built of quartzite, quarried locally. Uh, it's built of pressed brick made locally in a local brickyard. The museum edition has petrified wood in the outside of the north wall, hmm. um, put there by Pettigrew, and that's very unique. Uh, it goes back to the history of the community where um, there was once a company called the Drake Polishing Works at the falls of the Big Sioux River. They cut and polished stone for different architectural and other business purposes. And uh, in the starting in the 1870s, early 1880s, the Drake Polishing Works brought, uh, well, train loads of petrified wood from Arizona and stone from other quarries throughout the region. Uh And they would cut it and polish it. Well, uh, the Drake Works went out of business about 1903, 1904. Pettigrew bought all the extra petrified wood. And um, he actually uh, incorporated some of that into the outside of his museum. He also traded petrified wood with the Smithsonian for uh, Native American artifacts so that he could build his collection uh, and uh, and they they could get petrified wood because in the meantime, of course, the petrified forest became a national park and you can't take things from that anymore. It's an interesting insight into Pettigrew's personality as well as some of the history of the community. Well, going back to the old courthouse museum, what are some of the exhibits that... uh you plan on uh, doing in the coming weeks and months that people can can uh, look forward to? The old courthouse museum, we have six basic exhibit spaces that we um, try to do changing exhibits. And the exhibit's length of time is 18 to 24 months. And uh, we really do try to have a little bit of something for everybody that everybody would be interested in. And so currently, uh, into the fall, um, we have a number of topics 
One is called Beehives and Smoky Eyes, which is really bathrooms and barbershops. And, and uh, all the hairstyles that people have used in the last hundred years. And um, that's interesting. We have an old time barber chair, which isn't that different from the ones you sit in today. And, and that's really focuses on the evolution of hairstyles over the last century. Another one, Designing Sioux Falls, and, and you'll probably get uh, one of our themes is we have a large collection of architectural drawings and architectural models. And, and a lot of them relate to Sioux Falls and the community's history. So we, we really decided to look at what, what, what's been here or what was, what is, what's here today and what might be here in the future. Mm -hmm. And so the exhibit looks at some of the things that used to be here. People are amazed to learn that the, there was a nuclear power plant in Sioux Falls right. at one time, the right. Pathfinder plant. Mm -hmm. And we have the model of the plant with, with the, you push button and there's a nice little reactor. You get to see it uh, okay. go. And so it's really kind of fun to see, but a lot of people had no idea that nuclear energy in America, Sioux Falls is one of the starting points for that for residential use and businesses and things like we have photos of the old bus depot, but we also look at some of the things, the projects that are out there in the future and, and being developed. The museums have a huge collection. One of the reasons we have the Irene Hall Museum Resource Center, uh, we have about 120,000 objects on our collections management database right now. And mm -hmm. one of the exhibits that we have downstairs, we, we call it playing favorites. It's really the opportunity for the staff to show off the stuff they like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and the stories behind it. So uh, playing favorites is a great exhibit because it's a lot of stuff that doesn't often get out on exhibition is out right now. Okay. And it's it's things there's there's hairballs. <laughs> there there's a portrait of the grand mass master of masons of South Dakota in 1918. There's a, a ball gown, there's a musket carried at the Battle of Bunker Hill. Really? There's uh, matchbox cars, uh, there's all kinds of different things. You know, one of the things I love is the stories behind the artifacts. And I I often think, uh, you know, every once in a while, history comes up and bites you in the butt, mm -hmm. uh, lets you know that, that, that it's there and uh, a lot closer than you think sometimes. And some of those stories about the artifacts are, are just that, times when history has uh, made a connection with a member of the staff and, and that artifact is one of the tangible items there. So that's a great exhibit. Up on the second floor at the old courthouse, we have an exhibit called Radio Man, which is about the World War II radio training school in Sioux Falls. There were over 50,000 servicemen who 
got their radio training in the Army Air Corps uh, at the Sioux Falls base. We have an exhibit of some of our Native American artifacts, particularly the Sioux, uh, Northern Plains. It's really connecting with the natural world and how the Native Americans did that. Um, so we have a lot of quill work out. That's something that's very, there's a great amount of interest with the public. Mm -hmm. uh, up on third floor, we have an exhibit uh, called uh, the American Flag Symbol of Freedom, which is really an exhibit just about the flag and hmm. how some of the flag laws have evolved um, and, and the etiquette that we use. Uh, it hasn't always been the same. It's evolved over time. Uh, I think that that's a great exhibit. So those are some of the things. We also have a number of things in the hall, the Faywick Flyer. We have a tornado tree, we call it. It's a, a part of a tree with a bridge beam that's been shot through it by a tornado uh, that came through Sioux Falls in July of 1932. And it's part of the 41st Street Bridge at the time. Oh, wow. Uh, and, um, but we have pictures of the bridge, and you can see that. We have a bison that uh, Pettigrew collected. Uh, that started, he was one of Scotty Phillips' original herd. Scotty Phillips helped pres preserve the buffalo. Right. And uh, so there's a lot of different things to see uh, at the old courthouse museum. The public can also visit your uh, resource center, right? The Irene Hall Museum Resource Center. Right. The Irene Hall Museum Resource Center is open Tuesday through Friday from uh, 1 to 5, you can just walk in or by appointment. We can, if those hours don't work, we'll, we'll make other arrangements. Periodically, we have uh, behind-the-scenes tours. About every three months, we'll have one where the public can sign up and, and see all behind the scenes how that operation works. We do have a number of programs that happen at the Irene Hall. It's just one of our sites, and we'll do uh, a variety of programming in the different sites. We utilize that one as well. I imagine there's uh, the records out there help people with their genealogy research or their property. Uh, if you're looking for a photograph of, uh, for instance, my uh, I grew up in a home near McKinnon Park. And uh, I was looking through those materials a few months ago and looking for a picture of that home uh, taken in the 60s or 70s. It's fun to see that kind of stuff. It's so helpful in many ways. You, you mentioned the, the favorites what, and, and the staff's different, uh, picking different things. What's your favorite few artifacts? There's a couple photos that are really have a warm place in my heart. A number of years ago, uh, a, ge a gentleman brought in a collection of cart de vistas. They're, they're uh, calling card size prints. And they're, um, there were about 20 of them. And they're all members of Company L and Company M of the 7th Iowa Volunteer Cavalry, who served in Dakota during the Civil War. What, one particular one is a real favorite of mine. Uh, just because of the story behind it. And uh, a number of years ago, 
I was doing, well, 20 years ago almost, <laughs> I was doing research on this one guy, Seth Gray. And it was a Friday. That stereo or that uh, cabinet card was the last thing I looked at, Seth Gray, before I left for the weekend. And my wife and I drove down to southeastern Iowa uh, to visit our in-laws, my in-laws, her parents. And we took our, our baby girl with us. And, and grandma and grandpa hadn't seen her much. So they, they literally told my wife and I to get lost for the day and come back at five. And uh, we, 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 <clears throat> they lived in a really small town called Bussey in Iowa. And we went off and went to a, the nearest bigger town, Oskaloosa, for the day. And as we were driving back down this country road, we were early, and my wife goes, "Let's stop at that cemetery." And she points off, off on a you know gravel road up on a hill about a mile away. There's a cemetery, and so we we get off, we drive up this gravel road, and uh, get out. Beautiful summer day. I'm just randomly walk up to the first headstone I see, and it's Seth Gray of the Seventh oh Iowa God. Cavalry. My gosh. No idea. Uh, just uh, boom, right there. And it's it's stories like that that, uh, and, and it happens to people. You sure. know, I, I really, I do some cemetery tours, and I really think as long as people are remembered, they're not truly dead. And it's remembering those stories of the people that uh, really are important to me. There's other great artifacts. There's some great artifacts. Um, the, there's a musket carried by uh, L. Nathan Sawtell, the great-grandfather of Richard Franklin Pettigrew at Bunker Hill. Okay. Uh, he was a member of the Massachusetts militia, and uh, well, the musket's been handed down from one generation to the next. And uh, Pettigrew did a lot of research at the time. He got it about 1892, it passed into his hands. Hmm. And at that time he did a lot of research about his ancestors and, and their role. And so we know he was in a certain company of militia. They responded to the call on April 19th, 1775. Yeah. But were not engaged between Lexington and Concord and Boston. But they were at Boston then, and through through the attack at Bunker Hill. So right. it's it's interesting right. that thing has seen a lot of history. Oh yeah, I'm sure you're aware that America's 250th is coming up uh, in 2026, and I'm very glad you brought that up because we're kind of on the hunt for things that are from the Revolution that are in South Dakota. So. The story of that firearm is a great story to tell, and the fact that it came through the, the pedigreed line and it's uh, here in the state is, is good to know. Bill, this has been a great conversation. I hope uh, your your summer and your fall go well, and uh, we look forward to visiting the museum soon. And I wonder if you can just uh, share with us your website and how people can find out more about uh, the old Courthouse Museum and these other places. Sure, the website is 
www.sulandmuseums.com. We uh, have a lot of programs, a lot of different activities that are mm-hmm. going on all the time. Old Courthouse and Pettigrew are open daily. Wonderful. Come on down. Come on down. Well, thanks a lot, Phil. Appreciate thanks, it. Phil. We'd like to thank Howard and Dorothy Groover for their passion for history and the support of the South Dakota State Historical Society. It's through gifts such as theirs that we're able to tell South Dakota's history. We'd like to thank our partner, South Dakota Public Broadcasting, and most importantly, we'd like to thank you for listening. Please rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to find podcasts. We'll be back in a couple weeks with another episode of History 605.